0: Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget.
1: Welcome everyone and thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, I have a married couple who have they've written a number of books, but the book we're going to talk about this evening is Partners in Passion. And my guests are Patricia Johnson and Mark Michaels, and their book, Partners in Passion, is, it literally covers everything from A to Z, as, and as they define it, a book to build incredible sexual heat and deep emotional intimacy. Now, I am having a little technical difficulties here, but I'm wondering, Patricia and Mark, are you with me now? Not yet. Okay. Then uh, Patricia and Mark, are you with me now? We are. Hi. <laughs> Hello. We're having a little technical difficulties here. I loved reading your book. Oh, great. And We're, you're a
2: little faint. It's a, it's a little hard to hear you. Can you turn it up at all?
1: Oh, okay. Let me see. Are you? Yeah. Let me see if we can do that. Um, is this better?
2: Uh, It's about the same, I'm afraid.
1: (laughs) Oh dear. Okay. How's this?
3: That was a little better. Yeah.
1: Okay. Then we'll keep that there like that and just go. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for being on the show today. And yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah, we're delighted to be on.
1: One of the first things I wanted to ask you, given that the two of you having written books before myself, I know that there's sometimes when you're writing that there's things that surprise you, either about information or something between the two of you. Did you have any of that stuff happen when you were writing Partners in Passion? (laughs) Absolutely,
3: (laughs) yes. I I, um, I think um, collaborating on such an intimate level as writing is really, um, it it just made us have to employ all the techniques that are described in Partners in Passion. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I also think I mean some of our experiences in the, you know, the the fMRI uh, study that we described. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was actually that took place as we were in in the process of writing the book, and is that what we Nan Weiss That whole experience was quite the surprise, in spite of our efforts to prep for it.
1: Um, this is is this the work that Nan Weiss did? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> She's terrific.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's a she's a great friend and supporter, and uh, yeah, we were we were actually kind of the um, the test run for the partner stimulated orgasm study that she was doing. Oh, and really? We tried to rehearse it at home,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard to replicate an fMRI at home. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. Now, did you also have to have your heads in those little, like the little cradle?
3: I did, yes. I was pretty strapped down, and we're we're used to being able to at least look into each other's eyes, um, and that was very different to not be able to communicate in that manner.
1: No, <laughs> well, and there's all of these machines and equipment and everything around you.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. You, you, you know, you have to take off all metal when you go in there.
1: <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, I know when I've seen, you know, some of Nan's work, the um, poster presentations that she's been doing. And for any of our listeners, this is that we're talking about Dr. Nan Weiss, who's finishing her Ph.D. at Rutgers and talked about the brain um, stimulation of brain um, areas that activate during orgasm. So please go then and explain to people exactly what you did and okay. how Nan oh, got you involved uh, yeah. in this.
2: Well, I, I mean, it was, it was obviously not um, any kind of direct uh, genital engagement between us. Patricia was in the machine and strapped into this. Uh, uh, I had
3: my head, head sort of into a molded sort of. Thing. Mask restraining yeah. <laughs> thing.
2: And, and I was to stimulate her to orgasm while she's in the machine and her legs are and feet are sticking out. And we, as I said, we, we tried to practice this at home with a massage table, but there were so many variables that we couldn't account for. Um, the height of the, the height of the, uh, the, the machine and the fMRI was about chest level. And I had to stand on the right hand side of the machine. And my right hand is my dominant hand. So there was a whole bunch of kind of, But I
3: have to say Mark is very creative and he realized that if he switched to his left hand he could um like not have a pokey pokey motion but <laughs> use the pad of his thumb and that was brilliant. So um we did our best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and and you contributed to her body of information. Yes. <laughs> Oh, like, well, uh I now have, I have
2: not been in the machine and I, I don't know whether yes, Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> well was she looking for female for the female brain?
3: Yeah, yeah. And I but I think that actually, I mean, contrary to what you think, male orgasmic response is very understudied. Um I think um, it's I would agree with because you. the feedback loop is so obvious, but they're they're very, just as complex as females. Thank you for saying that,
1: Patricia. Because you know, I think that men have been given short shrift on what actually happens for them emotionally and physiologically during orgasm and during sex. I mean, and everyone sort of gives it sort of, well, you know, obviously he's having a good time because you know he ejaculated. But there's almost like there's no follow-up, you know, questions on, well, how was this? Did you enjoy it? Were you connected?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I the women women have Betty Dodson's work, you know, who mm-hmm. approached masturbation as a form of meditation and self-exploration. And the male males have uh Joseph Kramer's work, which is great right. and awesome, but I think he's successfully reached mainly the gay and bisexual community, and I don't I'm not sure he's actually cracked the heterosexual male
2: yeah, I don't think he's very well known, I, I don't, certainly not at I the know, kind I of know, level I that Betty Dodson yes. is.
1: I don't, I, I, Joseph Kramer's stuff is terrific. Uh, what's it called, Fire in the Mountain?
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Betty, and Betty's stuff is, of course, absolutely terrific. But again, I would agree, there isn't something that, aside from adult material that's come into the world for you know, the majority of people who might be hetero or straight.
2: And okay. also I think that outside of kind of the Tantra world, the idea that men can have orgasm without without even getting an erection and certainly without ejaculation is something that when you talk about it, people look at you like you're crazy. <laughs>
1: like you have five eyes, right?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, when I wrote my third book, uh, The Big O Orgasms, How to Have Them, Give Them, and Keep Them Coming, the reason I did is because I had so many people asking me questions about is this okay? This happened to me, is this normal? And I wanted to get something that had the hard science behind it that validated what these people experienced. So that's why I went and, you know, spoke with Beverly Whipple, with all of the people who were the top researchers, and that thing of, you know, men having soft gasms as they would call it, being able to have an orgasm without an erection, being able to have that physiological response without what everyone assumed was the connection to an erection. So my next question for you in, I know what my driving force was for me when I wrote my books, what was your driving force for this book?
3: Oh, for Partners and Passion, um, I think the main thing is that a lot of the books out there about relationships, are uh, the sample size, tend to come from uh, couples that are in distress. And what we did was look at long-term couples that are having vibrant, erotic uh, relationships in the long term and really uncover the key principles and the practices that they're doing. And what we discovered is that... Um, there's some similarities regardless to what the relationship looks on the outside, looks like. So,
2: I think okay. also another thing that really drove us in writing the book was, um, you know, we'd written three books that were specifically on Tantra, and we were really uh, looking to, to reach a much broader audience and, and share what we've learned in that area and, and also to share just what we've, we've experienced in our own lives and, and what we've seen in, in working with couples over the years.
0: Mm-hmm, and so it's, I it's
2: really kind of our big statement of, you know, in summation of, of 15 years of work together.
1: Right. I know you've got a very extensive background in Tantra. And Patricia, I was impressed to see that you were, you know, an operatic performer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think that helps me understand the energetics of the whole practice of Tantra. You know, you're probably right. I hadn't thought
2: of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, breath is so key to moving energy in the body. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly when Patricia and I first met, she hadn't really had any formal training in tantra, although I had. And it was very clear as we talked in the you know, early days of, of even before we got together that she really understood things. And, and I think that really comes out of the operatic bra- background.
1: Okay, now, let me just back up if I may ask, how did the two of you meet?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you <laughs>
2: um, Well, I had been uh, studying contra for for several years, and I gave a lecture in new york and, uh, in in what was it, January of 1999? Uh, and Patricia attended the lecture,
3: right? And we, we, uh, he offered up his email um, for anybody who had questions, and we started a lively email exchange. And mm-hmm. I found it very refreshing because it was the first time in which I could have conversations about sexuality that went beyond anatomy and physical realms. It was, I could speak about the energetic experiences I had. With mm-hmm. someone who understood him, <laughs> and uh, we we subsequently met um, and had a discussion that was very interesting, in which uh, we decided whether or not Mark would become my teacher. Oh, ah, and, um, no, and I'm just and, getting the And I said
2: it. I can't teach you anything. It was pretty obvious from the emails. So we'd coming up here he, he
1: first just
2: break, said,
3: he and then we're we going to come back, back and.
1: Right. My guests talk. are Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, authors of Partners and Passion, and we will come back after the break and talk about if he couldn't
0: teach her, then what was what did that keep you together? So stand by for more sex talk. When we get back after these, this is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. Hey kids, do you think you're creative? Do
4: you wanna be? Don't have enough time for your arts, crafts, and hobbies? Or do you just need a kick in the pants? Hi, I'm Mark Lipinski, the host of Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski right here on TogiNet Radio. Come on and join me every Wednesday afternoon for some creative inspiration and two of the fastest, fun-filled hours of your week. Hey, need ideas? How about a little motivation and a lot of inspiration? Join the fun on Creative Mojo with me, Mark Lipinski. I'm here live every Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 Pacific, right here on toginet.com. Now what are you waiting for? Welcome
0: back to Sex Talk.
1: As I said before the break, my guests are Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, partners in passion. And tonight on sex talk with Lou, we're going to find out, I mean, you sort of led me into this one, which is quite lovely. You said when you first met her, there really wasn't anything you could probably teach her. Was that because of her voice training or was that because of her attitude?
2: I, I think it was a mix, and I, you know, I had done more sort of historical study of tantra and, and had that body of knowledge. But clearly, in terms of her understanding of energy and and sort of uh, working with sexuality in a more conscious way, there was it was obvious that we were pretty much on the same page, and so I didn't feel that there was anything in that realm that I could teach her. And certainly, the opera was. Was a key component of that. I think she had also read a great deal about uh, about sexuality, and and so was was working herself energetically at a level that a lot of people that studied tantra for years probably weren't able to access.
1: Mm, and you know, and thank you for that because please, I mean, you've given some terrific resources in your book, in Partners in Passion. And one of the things that I struggle with myself when people are asking for places to go for Tantra is because it is an unregulated area. I mean, we have people saying that they're Tantrikas or they're this or they're that. And I have no idea what are going to be the best groups to send someone to.
3: Yeah, right. It's it's a difficult thing. And what we advise people to do is to really look at the resume of the teacher and see if it, first of all, has a tangible line of instruction, like they actually name who they learned from. And also, we advise people to take an introductory course with that person before committing to some, something longer.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, there's, it's really a buyer beware situation. And it, it is, as you say, it's right. very difficult because it's unregulated. Unregu- um, when I was when I was studying I in in a couple of cases worked with teachers who I had didn't really resonate with where I felt out of alignment. I was so hungry to learn that I just was willing to sort of risk that and, and I, I will say that there were a couple of times where I had experiences that were less than great. And I think mm-hmm. that had I not already done a lot of work, and had I not been pretty grounded as a person, it could have been really problematic. So it, you've got to be careful, and, and it's hard to recommend people, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, because that's, I mean, when people ask me, I say, listen, some people have had tremendous, terrific um, uh, experiences, and other people, it's been like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, you know, what? what were you thinking? And I tell people that, Tantra is not something that you just learn on a weekend. It is something that is so much more involved. It is about learning your body, learning to move energy around your body. And you can get some basics (laughs) in a weekend, but you really need to have, it's a mind-body connection relative to sensuality, relative to yourself and your body, that it takes a studied part of you to finally get it into you You have to incorporate it into you you can't just have someone tell you this is how you bake a cake
3: right right <laughs> yeah, yeah and
2: it's about so much more than just kind of the sexual act and i think it gets reduced to that a lot in in kind of the american popular media and, and in some of the some of the ways it's taught popularly so um, uh, you know it, for us we really we we were exposed to a lot of that and, and benefited from it, but we wanted to really get some roots in the in the actual tradition.
3: So we sought out our teacher Swami Ananda Kapila Saraswati and have been working with him for years. So mm-hmm. and he has
2: named you Yeah, and
1: he's named you as continuing the lineage. Is that how it's referred to? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
2: And and we really I mean he was a kind of a, a major figure in the birth of Tantra in America. He gave some lectures in the in the 70s that formed the basis of our first book.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: what we feel our mission is at this point, and, and a big piece of continuing his legacy, is finding a way to take this tradition, which is so vast and complex and, you know, alien to our culture, and finding ways that the core truths of it can be applied in modern life. Right. right. Okay.
1: Now, th- for example, one of the things and we're kind of bouncing around. I didn't want to go through the book from page one through to the end, but one of the things that, from a Tantra standpoint, for couples who wish to connect um, is kareza. Am I saying that correctly?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. or I think it's carezza. It's actually okay. an, an American coined word that sort of, evokes the Italian, I think, was the intention when it was coined around the turn of the 20th century. But
3: it's a magical practice. It, it really um, uh, transforms the lovemaking and um, takes it out of performance realm and...
2: Goal orientation. Mm-hmm. So the technique is basically um, just soft insertion. It, you know, Assuming a heterosexual couple, it would be penis and vagina with a great deal of lube. And you just stay in that, in that state for five or ten minutes at a time with no thrusting, no um, concern about whether there's an erection or not. And you just allow yourselves to tune in together and, and experience this goal, non-goal-oriented kind of erotic connection.
1: Right. Now, when you, you also speak of, I watched some of your interviews, the eye connection, and I notice Patricia that you are like very much watching Mark when he speaks, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the 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 eye connection. Now, please tell people because now I'm going to go into you know some of the tips and ideas that you have.
3: Oh, great!
1: What? Yeah. What is the eye connection that?
3: You know, that's where the magic happens, and I think that's where we all start to fall in love, is there's a great chance that with your, your partner, you spent a lot of time looking deeply into their eyes in silence when you were first falling in love, and uh, couples don't realize as they enter into long-term relationships that they can recreate the circumstance, that circumstance in which they fell in love, by consciously choosing to look into each other's eyes in silence.
1: So it's the sitting across from one another, just looking at one another, nose to nose, across the table.
2: Well, we, we started doing this as a formal practice when we first got together, and it's something that we, you know, it's, it's really the foundation of, of everything that we teach. And the, the way to do it formally is to stand about two and a half to three feet apart in an open posture, kind of if you do yoga, like a standing corpse pose. So your, mm-hmm. arms are, your arms are pointed, your palms are pointed toward each other, and you're just in an open stance. And you focus your attention on your right eye, and you look straight across into your partner's left eye.
3: Now this sounds a little more complicated than it needs to be, but...
2: <laughs> it's what, just a straight-on gaze.
3: What it allows is your eyes to relax, and in time, your your mind will relax, and the chatter will relax, and you'll enter into a meditative state, and um, really regain that connection and that sense of harmony that you feel whenever you feel like you're madly in love with one another. Mm-hmm.
2: So and we we started out doing this for three to five minutes uh, every time we got together when we were first seeing each other. Um, and, you know, and continued it as a formal practice for a year or two after After that. Um, and by that time it became so established and so central to our relationship that the need to do it that, you know, rigidly was gone. And now we continue, even after all these years, to... Yeah. To seek each other out.
3: As a matter of fact, we're doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: in other words, it can be it can be done in public. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really a grounding practice, um, and we use it as a time out. So, if we're feeling disruption or any conflict arise, we We say that communication is important, but talking is overrated. So we won't talk until we feel connected first. Okay. And uh, that seems like... Usually. (laughs) It
2: takes a lot of presence of mind, and sometimes, you know, the emotions can be running a little too high, and and even the most practiced people will forget. But if you can just take a moment and decide that you're going to do it and pause, that, that will dial down whatever the intensity that's happening between you is.
1: You know, because, I mean, in essence, you are creating a space that's calm between the two of you.
2: Yeah. That's connected. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens then, I mean, people often, when they're talking, and even if they're using, you know, active listening listening or nonviolent communication, even then, there's just a human tendency to build your case. And even if you're (laughs) listening to your partner, there's probably a little part of your mind that's going, well, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to make my point and she's going to see that I'm I'm right. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And and that will inevitably lead to polarization. I, so our yeah. what we advocate is for people to connect first to move the issue from something that's in between them and is pushing them apart as to something that they can then turn to and address together. And and the eye gazing really
3: helps with that. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Now do you if someone were going to use this as they a, a normal thing to do when you come home at night first thing in the morning
3: Yeah, I mean um just find that time in which you can give dedicate 3 to 3 minutes or so to it and it depends on the couple and their lifestyles. Sometimes the morning would be better. Or, mm-hmm. you know, but once a day, and what you establish is that sense of what it feels like to be really connected and in harmony. So, when that sense of connection gets disrupted, you can just come in and, and um, you know, fix it before any petty argument arises.
2: Now, so a lot can- of longer term couples can find this really difficult. We find that. When, when relationships start to get a little bit routine and people are, are sort of complacent, um, people can lose sight of each other and they can lose touch with one another. And what re- we're really advocating is the deliberate and conscious bringing that back into a relationship. Mm-hmm. When you first start out, if you're in that category, it may be all you can manage to do it for 20 seconds. But you can gradually build that up and reestablish the connection that you had when you first got together.
1: Right. Now, we are coming up to our next break. And my guests tonight are Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson. And we have just been discussing their eye gazing as their tip, which from their background of their decades for you, Mark, correct, decades of Tantra?
2: Uh, not quite decades. It's about 18 years now, I think. It's okay. my first since <laughs> no, my, my first It's going on two decades.
1: <laughs> okay. And talking about the gazing exercise as a way to connect. And when we come back, I'm going to ask them to go through, which I found completely fabulous and hilarious, the nibs that people think are the things that are going to be the best for their relationship. This is Lou Padgett. Please stay with us. We'll be back after this break.
5: It's not just time for a change, is it? It's much bigger than that. Can you feel it? It's time for a transformation. Will you now imagine that you can and will transform your life? Will you suspend your disbelief and imagine that all things are not just possible, but probable? Imagine that you will meet guides, mentors, and trusted friends who believe in you. Hold your hand as they point the way and teach you to trust your own wisdom. The first of these friends is spiritual girlfriend, Gail Carruthers. Gail will show you how to believe. Believe your perfect divine wisdom will reveal your worthiness. Believe that knowing your power will open your boundless courage, courage to live consciously, fearlessly, and joyfully. And then know, know all these things are already here and waiting for you to bring them into your divine life. She is here to help you discover, believe, and know. So join Gail, your spiritual girlfriend, every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network.
4: Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? Well, pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on TuggyNet Radio.
1: Just before the break, Mark and Patricia and I, they are the authors of Partners in Passion, said that we were going to talk about the myths that they start off the front of their book with. Okay, myth number one, you need to find a soulmate.
2: (laughs) Very, very unfortunate myth, because I think that... What happens for a lot of people is that they're out there looking for the one, you know, in all mm-hmm. capital letters. And that's kind of a perfect is the enemy of the good situation on one hand. And also what happens a lot is that they, they may meet someone really like them and, and get into a relationship. And then during the new relationship energy phase at the beginning, they project all of their fantasies about this one that they're looking for onto that person.
3: And then over time, they suddenly realize that they're actually with another human being. <laughs> oh, how,
1: is that interesting? <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, um, now, it, yeah.
1: Now, here's the question. It, this, the soulmate thing. I mean, if we're talking about, we all have souls and we all arrived in these little suits we call bodies. I think a soulmate in my mind, we have many different soulmates who help us grow as souls. There isn't just the one. So I, I, I say to people, look, if the only thing you're looking for is that, you are likely to be disappointed. Right. And right. if you are constantly, constantly looking, what you're not doing is... I love that this, there's a gentleman by the name of Darren Hardy, and he did this one um, exercise and he said, I want to write down every single thing I want in The Most Ideal Woman. So he ended up writing about 14 pages. And then he looked at this, swear to God, he did. And then he looked at it and he went, well, if this woman is so fabulous, why would she want me?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and it probably, you know, out of the, if he had a list of 14 pages long, probably three to five of those characteristics on that list would be enough.
3: Yeah, and, and I think looking for a soulmate uh, uh, denies the fact that uh, relationships are an ongoing process. So you, they're, they're a co-creation and a collaboration and a skill set. So you're not passively just receiving the perfect soulmate. You find someone Correct. with enough co- compatibility, and then you practice together relating
2: but I think the idea of multiple soulmates is, a, is a, I love also a great way of thinking about it because it, it, it takes that pressure off of, you know, being focused on finding that one perfect person and it tells you that there are many, many people out there that you can connect with and connect with in a really deep way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you what Darren Hardy did have happen is he made himself into the person that that person would want down to the point he described her hair, how she would smell, and, you know, he did find her.
3: Wow. <laughs> hey, wow.
1: But hey. what he did is he looked as in and he says, if she's so amazing, why would she want me?
2: And, he, <laughs> you know,
1: he whipped himself into shape. So we've got the soulmate myth. Then what we have is,
2: where's number two? Do, do, do. They lived, they lived happily, happily ever after.
1: They lived happily ever after.
2: And And you go through, and I think it's
1: interesting. There's some
2: really interesting history, at least interesting to me, (laughs) tied into that, which is that the idea of happily ever after comes out of fairy tales. And fairy tales were evolved in a period of time when romantic love was not seen as being the central element in relationship happiness. It was at best like a fringe benefit that some people experienced. So the idea of happily ever after really has to do with either social status, or economic security, not with a relational state. And it's really only kind of through the 20th century and Walt Disney and the sort of more modern ideas about romantic love as the basis for a relationship that happily ever after became a a goal in a romantic partnership.
3: And you'll notice that usually the phrase at the end follows that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there's right. no celebration of mature love, of deep love, of uh, one that just evolved over time. And, and
2: love that's a practice as opposed to, a you know, a, a point of closure.
1: Right. Well, you know, from a,
2: um, a
1: cultural, anthropological standpoint, marriages were not even, you know, until the turn of the century, they really were organized and they really mm-hmm. were, you know, you, and, you know, the falling in love thing was something that, oh, wow, that that's a benefit. Then, as, what is her name? Her book is um, The Way We Never Were.
2: And oh, yes, talking, I think I read that in yeah, grad and school. Um, and I can't remember yeah. her name either. But <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it in a second.
1: But she said, you know, we hijacked marriage with love. And then, you know, the thing where they're saying, you know, people live longer and stay together. No, they didn't. They died. (laughs) And we're living longer now. So, now let me go back and ask one quick question. You said you looked for long-term couples who are having, you know, a good sexual connection, a good intimate connection. How many of them, of most married couples or couples who are together, what percentage of those
2: couples... Are out there in the world.
3: Oh, I'm not sure, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, we didn't do a you know we didn't do a random sample. We didn't do a scientific we, study on that. We really looked for for people um, in all walks of life and really in all kinds of different styles of relationships who are happy and mm-hmm. felt that that was really a way to guide people who maybe are less happy into finding a, a, a more a more harmonious way of being together.
1: And and I would agree with you that you know most couples come looking for something when they're in distress.
3: And yes, and um, I Mark was talking about this. They they've done studies, and when couples do finally seek out therapy, usually they've been dissatisfied for.
2: I you know there's a it was a recent article, and we've we've been on tour, and I can't remember the details, <laughs> but it's it's several years. I think it was three or possibly five years before. Yeah, I I've I've heard the five year. Mm -hmm. Five
3: years of dissatisfaction. So, yeah, and what we found is that the couples that really are engaged and really satisfied and happy are kind of practicing the same thing, regardless of how they are on the gender continuum and how their sexualities are expressed. The core practices are the same, and one of them, I would say, is intense curiosity and willingness to be surprised.
1: By the partner or by things that they do, both.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that their relationship and their sexuality become an adventure, and they're always willing to learn more. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's few things that will shut someone down more quickly than when someone says, "You've got to be kidding."
3: You've got to be kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And someone just that's a pretty good good
2: shutdown. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I think another big shutdown that that we encounter far too often is the you always and you never. I mean, and that's kind of relationship oh. 101, but people do that so often. And um, bit, it, yeah, there's nowhere to go from there.
1: No, and also if someone, particularly men, want to tell someone what their fantasy is, the moment he's been rejected, as one man put it to me, he isn't just rejected then, he's rejected for the next six months because that she will remember that because women never forget anything.
3: Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, what we describe in Partners in Passion is how to have these conversations so they don't become a, uh, a shutdown, but that the relationship starts to open and become vibrant so that I mean when you share your sexual self, you're very, very vulnerable and there's ways to bring up these conversations that ease that sharing.
2: And yeah, and right. I think you know, what we if somebody is sharing their innermost fantasies with you, they're they're putting an enormous amount of trust in you. And I've certainly in, in past relationships had the experience of being shamed for some of my, my sexuality and it's it's no it's no way to treat a partner. So that even if something makes you uncomfortable or is a little bit shocking, you know, I think that being kind and com- compassionate and, and engaged with trying to learn about it is where you start.
3: We ha- we right. describe something called erotic consensus, and there is mm-hmm. step by step as how to how couples can have these kind of conversations in which they can find a a place of movement. So you may not engage in that fantasy with your partner, but you may find a way to uh, view erotica together that address that particular mm-hmm. activity, or you can hold them while they fantasize about it and self-stimulate. There's there's just ways, uh, many, many ways in which you can collaborate.
2: Um, you know, we, we tell the story of a couple that actually I didn't know them, but Patricia did, and, and they were very conservative religiously. They lived in a very conservative community, and they mutually discovered that their fantasy was to have sex with a stranger. And so they Mm -hmm. played out this whole scenario without actually doing it, but she would dress up in different clothes and maybe put put on a wig and be a little more provocative than she would normally, and they'd go to another town uh, where they wouldn't Mm -hmm. run into anyone they knew, and she would go into a diner and sit at the counter, and he would come in and sit next to her and pick her up, and then <laughs> they'd go off to a motel together.
3: And they were able to, you know, explore this together without violating any of their agreements. and
1: Any know, of their, their religious tenets, yeah. right. I would say. Because now we have one minute until our final break, and I want to come back with more of The Miz. Then I also want to go and talk about kink, And the open relationships, the different variances of relationships, because I'm finding more people are wanting to, I mean, and I saw that, you know, Tristan is the one who who brought you to Cleese, and she's fabulous.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, open relationships or relationships that have variances, they're becoming much more common, and particularly for young adults and um, uh, teens. So with that, we're coming to our break. My guests this evening are Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, authors of Partners in Passion, and we'll be back with more myths and kink and open relationships. Please stay with us.
0: This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com.
6: Are you stuck in a rut? Wondering if there's more than a 9 to 5? Do you ever yell out, is this all there is? Then join Alaska Coach Keith's radio show, where we'll focus on transition, career revitalization, and freedom. Keith will discuss tips and tricks for developing and living to our highest potential. It's time we dusted off our dreams and became alive with purpose. Keith will share lessons he's learned from a 20-year study of career engagement, motivation, and personal leadership. He'll interview experts and authors who know both struggle and triumph. You may even get a chance to bring your biggest challenge to the radio for an on-the-spot coaching with Keith. Join Alaska Coach Keith each week. Conceive. Believe. Achieve. Heard every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central right here on the Rockstar Radio Network.
5: and sacred rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Velasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Veloci's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette weave our own healing traditions and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velasi every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Sex Talk.
1: Now, before the break, I said we were going to talk about the myths that Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson put in their book, Partners in Passion. Okay, let's just jump in. Myth number four, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs>
3: so, the, uh, this, this has a very adversary tone, <laughs> not so subtle.
2: <laughs> and, and it's very, very um, essentialist. It doesn't allow for individual variation. It's an assumption that men have one way of communicating and women have another and kind of never the twain shall meet. And the reality is that we're all different in in our own relationship. Typically, I'm the one who wants to talk more about <laughs> about emotional stuff in particular. And so what I think is much more valuable is for people to look at what their relationship is like, what their personal communication styles are like, rather than going to men are one way and women are another.
3: And I would advise people to look for commonalities and similarities. Why, why mm-hmm. would you look at differences when you're seeking to relate better? You know, that doesn't make any sense. So there's so many ways in which we're so similar, and science is finding that... We're know, all from Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: you. Thank you.
3: Now,
1: the other myth that I would like you to talk about is that desiring someone else is a form of infidelity.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you think about, we have this really um, contradictory set of ideas in our society about, about that aspect. On the one hand, we have an idea that anything short of genital intercourse isn't really sex, and that's, that's still quite common out there in the culture. Mm-hmm. And on mm-hmm. the other hand, we have this idea that we've, we've encountered this fairly often, that the idea of, of just acknowledging that you're attracted to somebody else is, is, you know, a step or two away from actually cheating.
3: And sadly, we've recently heard of couples actually getting divorced over one partner viewing erotica online and they, they just divorced. Their, they threw away years of goodwill, a relationship, and children, you know, in the mix. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. No, well, I mean,
2: obviously compulsive behaviors, and if someone's spending thousands of dollars mm-hmm. on, on Internet porn, there's an issue there that but needs to something be addressed.
3: Else but it's not... It's, it,
2: yeah, it's not the erotica per se that's the problem. Is there
3: something
1: else going no, on? No, I, I would say that might be, you know, the icing that just gets yeah. something <laughs> over. <laughs>
3: so to speak. <clears throat> but
1: one thing is there, and I'm just going to throw this out. I know and I've watched many women <clears throat> when they are perimenopausal, having the ebb and the flow, like those huge spikes of hormones. And so the estrogen drops off, and then there's more unopposed testosterone in her system, at which point women go like this, that's it, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I've watched women throw away 20, 25-year relationships, and then when they get to menopause where their brain becomes calmer again, they go, what did I do?
3: Wow. Oh, wow. And
1: And I'm wondering if there is something that you have or would recommend for couples. Because literally, the men in their lives and their children go like this, who is she? They don't know her anymore. And she literally, instead of the estrogen, which makes you, you know, okay, we'll make sure everything gets taken care of, she's like this, screw it, I'm done with it. Yeah,
3: that's interesting. I mean, one of our... Uh, main things we like to tell people, especially as they age, both, both sexes actually, is that to, uh, recognize that desire comes after arousal. And so yeah. there,
2: um, well, in, in terms of sexuality, you know, I think the important thing that what, what Patricia is hitting on is that it, it's really important to continually choose to be sexual together. Where you're talking about really major emotional disruptions, uh, that's a very tough one. Yeah, I'm I, not you know, sure
3: if regular sexual activity would remedy that. I mean, it's, I'm just it's tough when somebody's bottled something up for years and years. And I, The as, only thing
2: I would counsel there is is relates to our attitude about being flexible and to having something of an attitude on, on both sides of the equation that, you know, that this too shall pass, that we're in a stage and it's not going to last forever. hmm um, And that's one it, of the
1: things that you know the the going through this is but many times women don't realize what's going on, and they just they have a short circuited fuse
2: mhm um, uh, well, hopefully more and more <laughs> you know sex therapists and and couples therapists will be mindful of this and and be able to sort of separate out when when that's the issue I mean I think overall we encourage people to look. and and not to reject medicine, um, you know, in terms of getting evaluated for for physiologically related issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we we kind of, in a way, in our society, we privilege a, a more psychological way of understanding things, even if that's not really appropriate.
1: I would agree with you on that. Now let's go to monogamy is natural and optimal. (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: well, one of, these, one of the things that kind of inspired us to write the book, or a component of it, was that in our teaching, we were finding that a lot of couples, and and you mentioned earlier, younger couples, this is becoming more common. I think in couples in their 40s and 50s it is as well, because we're getting lots of couples coming to us saying they wanted to study Tantra, but the kind of underlying agenda was how do we open up our relationship and stay connected? This is something we never advertised that we do, but it kept on coming up.
3: (laughs) And and interestingly enough, if people take their sex life and make it the perspective of not, you know, you you fulfill my sexual needs, I fulfill your sexual needs, but rather we're on a joint adventure that sort of opens things up. And we're going to just explore and see where that takes us together mutually it, it, then anything can be negotiated between you, the two or three or four individuals um, that right. are involved. And it's it's really no one, you know, you get to write your rules. No two relationships are exactly alike.
2: Right. And we do have quite a few couples in the book that we interviewed who are in open relationships and have been for often for a long, long time, and Mm -hmm. it's possible to actually fortify your bond as a couple by interacting with other people. That's kind of against what the popular media says, but we've certainly encountered it a lot. As long as you are communicating well, as you're staying on the same page and there's real mutuality involved, actually sometimes the, the open aspects of a relationship can be a way of going even deeper together.
1: And you know, I Nan Weiss is the one who first educated me on polyamory, and I know that you, you know, make the comment that of Ken Haslam's thing, uh, designer relationships.
3: Yeah, isn't that a great term?
1: It is a great relationship, a great term. And I, I say to people about sexuality, it's like, look, do not be thinking that people down the road, excuse me, are having all of this great sex they're probably having the same type of stuff you are, and they have their own dynamics as well. Right. And you have to create it the way you want it, not for anybody else, but for the two of you. Period. Yeah.
3: And there's great freedom in that. It's really Tremendous. Fun. And, and Tremendous. that means if you have sex once a month and you
2: truly both are satisfied with having sex once a month, that's not a sexless marriage. That's a that's a, a place of mutuality. Of course, if, it's, if there's not a real... True mutuality there, there can be a problem, but Mm -hmm. people, you know, they read stuff in the newspapers and there are studies that are quoted, and those are kind of interesting, but they don't tell you very much about your own personal situation.
1: No, and I'll tell you, when I get asked the question in any interview, what's the average number of times people have sex a week or a month, I always say, I am not going to answer that question, and I'll tell you why. I said, whatever number or whatever answer I give, someone's going to get beaten up.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And
1: I said, I, that, that's not what I'm going to do. Now we're coming down to our last three minutes here. I want to touch on because you this book for those who are listening, um, Partners in Passion, has a great section on the variables of open relationships, changing relationships, morphing relationships, and I think that's something more people want to know about. And also, I want to talk about kink. And, mm-hmm. right, cause, in three you know, minutes. <laughs> okay, here we go. Exactly. <laughs> actually. <two minutes>, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the kink is not abuse. And I'll tell you, more people have thought that they know what's going on because they read Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, now, wow. that really is, a, uh, it's really a book that is about, um, it's a love story between two people who have no idea how to be in a relationship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You and know, every it's time also fairy tale. It's the it's the rise tale. It's the it is
1: the rise tale of the Cinderella rise tale, as you say yeah. in the book. Absolutely right. And yeah. but here's the thing about it. I mean, anyone who's read a Harlequin romance, this is a Harlequin romance with vanilla kink. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, and, but
1: what, what we found think...
3: though is that the real players in kink the real they they exercise a profound interest in one another an intense curiosity in one another and a amazing awareness of how each other are be, receiving any scene and it's uh, or any interaction in... And it's really
2: very much like tantra when you when you get under the layers of appearance and I think when we we're first exposed to a lot of the kink. We, were, we had a lot of judgments about it coming at it from the tantric perspective that we did, but we mm-hmm. soon saw that the people who are doing kink well, there's the same level of care and attention and, and focus on bringing each other energetically to higher and higher places that, that exist Absolutely. in tantra.
1: Absolutely. Now we're coming down to our final minute. My guests tonight are Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson. You can find them on www.michaelsandjohnson.com. Their book is Partners in Passion. And in 30 seconds, anything else you'd like to add in?
2: Uh, just that it's available uh, through all the usual sources. If they, people come to our website, we'll, we'll send them a signed, contact, uh, signed copy. And mm-hmm. uh, it's available on Kindle, etc. cetera. Uh, you can order it from your local bookstore. That's
3: always a great yeah, way to Yeah, we always go. recommend that.
1: And, and let me tell you something. I've read a lot of books on sex and with tips. This one covers a whole gamut. And Winston Wilde was right. And Winston's great. This does cover just about everything. Thank you so much for being with me
0: this we'll evening. with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Padgett.